0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy to birth and postpartum. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In today's episode, we are talking with Melissa Reeves, who is a doula, a coach, and co founder of the Mother Birth podcast and community. She's going to be sharing with us her personal story around postpartum anxiety and the difficulties that that brought up with her connection with her son and a subsequent loss of birth trauma and milestones that came and went. A lot of stuff that she had to overcome after the birth of her first son, that left her feeling disconnected and having to work really hard to get reconnected with him. And then she'll show with us a little bit about how the work that she does now was shaped by her experiences. Melissa works with women who have experienced pregnancy loss and want to trust their bodies again, helping them find their own path to healing and hope through the innate intuition they each possess. Brought up with an innate love for simple, natural, rhythmic living, Melissa's perspective on life and motherhood comes from a slow reawakening to the depth of feminine wisdom through her experiences of stillbirth, multiple miscarriages and postpartum anxiety. Melissa is based in Portland but travels semi-full-time with her husband and two kids. You can find Melissa's coaching and online courses at Trust Your Body Again and connect with her on Instagram for birth and motherhood inspiration. So let's hear from Melissa. Welcome Melissa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Kat. I'm excited to be here. So I've heard some really great things about the work that you do, and specifically the Mother Birth Podcast, which we'll get into a little bit later and share that resource with everyone. But I would love to start, you know, wherever you feel comfortable with starting in terms of how you entered into this space of perinatal wellness.
1: Yeah, I think that for me, you know, it really started kind of back at the Insemination, maybe that's a <laughs> tricky word, but at the beginning of my motherhood journey, which began with a pregnancy loss in my first trimester and then immediately getting pregnant with my firstborn son who is now turning nine. At this mm-hmm. month. And I, a little bit of background on me is that I grew up in a really large family. I'm the oldest of 10 siblings. And mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm in northern Canada and was homeschooled and had a very, you know, for what's pretty normal these days, a pretty alternative upbringing. Mm-hmm. My mother was a total hippie and, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't have her babies at home, but birth was a very, normal, natural part of the conversation. You know, Mm. my mom just kind of had babies and she was Mm. pregnant or breastfeeding for my entire life, you know, my entire life at home. Yeah. And so even though there were many ways that I didn't want to be anything like my mother and I didn't want my life to look like hers, at the same time, I was profoundly impacted by her motherhood journey and by the way that she showed up to motherhood, which was, of course, not perfect, but she was a very intentional and very, very thoughtful present woman who really gave herself fully to the you know the experience of mothering mm-hmm. and when I got pregnant with my son Aiden I really felt on this visceral level that I knew what I was doing and you know I mean I had helped raise all of my siblings mm-hmm. I felt very very comfortable and very confident in my skills quote unquote in terms of right the practical ins and outs of raising children and what that looked like. I felt pretty confident that I would, you know, know how to discipline a child and get a child to do the things I needed them to do. And I definitely felt comfortable with, you know, feeding and choices around, you know, health and all of those things. What I severely neglected was any kind of emotional preparation. And I think that that, it's a, understandable oversight. I don't think that it's possible to really understand the emotional investment and the identity shift that happens when you become a mother, when you observe that from the outside. And even as an oldest child who was very involved in the raising of my siblings, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that same investment. The stakes weren't the same for me as they were for my mother. Right. Yeah. And so when I actually became a mother, after having a really difficult complicated and traumatic birth with my firstborn son, Mm. which kind of just morphed into this really difficult and traumatic postpartum period where we struggled so significantly to bond Mm. and to really kind of thrive in that early season. And what that ended up looking like for me was really severe postpartum anxiety. And looking back on it now, I can see that A lot of that was latent inside of me. I just didn't realize it. Mm. I did grow up with an anxious mother. And so a lot of the observations that I made about that mother-child relationship were based on this desire to kind of control outcomes and to really be in control, right? So yeah, so when my son came along and that was not (laughs) the reality as Mm -hmm. we know and understand now it really threw me for a loop. And I had just so neglected any emotional preparation. I thought I was so ready for this. And I was ready. I was ready to change diapers Mm -hmm. and, you know, be committed to breastfeeding no matter what it took. I was ready for those things, but I was not ready for the emotional roller coaster that it was going to be. And, you know, there were some physiological factors due to the birth experience that we had that contributed to the turbulence of that postpartum period mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it really was my own mental state and my own lack of preparation and what was really a struggle during that season for me was that it was not a short season. You know, there were Mm -hmm. so many things about it that, you know, care providers or friends were saying to me, like my son was extreme colic and, you know, digestive issues and was Mm -hmm. a very unhappy baby. And there were so many times that people said to me, oh, well, you know, he'll hit the three-month mark and things will get better. You know, the Mm -hmm. six-month mark is around the window and everything's going to smooth out from there. And those milestones just kept coming and going Mm -hmm. with no shift. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. And I think that, you pair that with the inevitable sensation that you have as a first-time parent anyways that you really can't conceptualize that there is an end to whatever it is that's happening now because you just really don't have the context yet to actually embody that belief (laughs) you know like you can rationalize you can rationally realize like my 15 year old will not be, you know, breastfeeding or sleeping in bed with me or crying through the night. Like rationally, I know that, but it doesn't on a body trauma level, on a reaction level, it doesn't compute.
0: This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted? The Emmy nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brain Child comes Mysteries About True Histories affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods.
1: And so that combined with a really difficult postpartum, you know, reality was Mm -hmm. hard for me and it went on for years. I mean, I joked about it even at the time that I had a colicky (laughs) two-year-old, you Mm -hmm. know, just it didn't really ever subside and my anxiety didn't subside. I became more and more obsessive and more and more desirous of control. I really created a really toxic environment for my son and I and for our relationship to grow in, which made it really hard to, you know, we wanted to have more children, but that was a hard conversation because I just felt so overwhelmed by what my experience had been. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was unfortunately for me at the time, I was also quite isolated in the sense that I had had children before the majority of our community. And so I both lacked, you know, that sort of peer-to-peer shared experience, relational side Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also just lacked personal connection to my own intuition and to my own inner voice and anything that would help me realize like, okay, what's going on here, it may be common, but it's not normal, you know? and I need help. I didn't really even recognize the dangerous, like debilitative state Mm -hmm. of mind that I was in. And I definitely didn't reach out for help. So it just kind of languished, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm sure that so many people relate to many different parts of what you were describing about your experience, but very much the whole, well, it's just happening. You're not necessarily aware that it's happening, nor do you want to believe that it's happening on some level. So it's so easy for this all to just, you know, keep going in the way that you describe it. It sounds like it was for a while, a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really was actually four plus years. And obviously, my son developmentally kind of did move past those initial years of high need, really difficult interaction. But he kind of maintained like a very high sensitivity, high emotional need, high reactivity, Mm. simply because of the toxic nature of our relationship. Like I was constantly, constantly looking for ways to kind of control and, for lack of a better word, like dominate him. Mm -hmm. And he was reacting (laughs) to that as any Mm -hmm. child would do, you know, with force. And it was really this kind of this spiral of us reacting to each Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. And what's really, really interesting about my journey was that what it took to even recognize that cycle. I mean, of course, I knew that it was bad. I knew that it was negative, but I can describe my thought process, this was not a subconscious or unconscious thought process. I consciously during those years would tell myself like, this is just how it is. It's just going to be like this. Mm -hmm. I just have to survive it. Mm -hmm. You know, it will never have a good connected relationship. Mm -hmm. I just have to, you know, try not to damage him too badly and, you know, get him to the other side where we send him off to college kind of thing. I mean, I truly had Mm -hmm. given up in the sense of what I Thought our relationship could be. Mm, And when we got, yeah, it was very, very devastating. And when we got pregnant with our second son, when my oldest was about three, three and change, I was really still this ball of anxiety. That was actually during that pregnancy, my season of highest anxiety Mm -hmm. with my relationship with my older son. And we were just out of control. It was a very, very dark time. And I struggled so much because contrasting that experience was this experience of pregnancy that I was having, which was very calm and peaceful and connected. I felt so connected to this baby and so aware of the ways that I could affect the Experience the prenatal experience that I was having, and also in preparing for birth and wanting it to be a very different experience mm-hmm. than the first birth experience I had had. You know, I was making quite different choices around right. my prenatal care and you know, birth setting and all of that. I was meditating. I was eating differently. You know, I was doing so many things to positively impact this pregnancy and birth, and yet I had this whole other compartment in my life that was just a complete mess, and I couldn't reconcile the two. I actually. Mm could not understand how I could be living these two different lives. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really challenging for me because I could also really see how prone or how likely it was that this new baby would be born and I would feel so connected to this baby and that my older son would perceive that and that that would be a further disconnect between him and I. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is our son Rowan was stillborn at forty two weeks and began sort of this, you know, very acute, very, very intense period of grieving and healing, which so interestingly was the turning point in healing my relationship with my older son. And really Yeah. And really like it was such a wake up call to me that I was the lowest common denominator. I was the one at the center of this all. And, you know, I feel like now I've been doing this work for years. My son's, you know, nine years old. I really started doing this work when he was four, which is when my son was stillborn. And five years later, we're still on this journey, but our relationship has become something so beautiful Hmm. and so dynamic and still a difficult relationship in the sense that we both have to work hard at being Mm -hmm. connected. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a relationship that just comes really easily and naturally mm-hmm. and fluidly. We both sense like what it takes to stay connected, but man, have we ever come such a long, long way. And, you know, the last few, few weeks, even I've been reading this book called Conscious Parenting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, but you know, the concept is really that every struggle we face in our parenting journey is it's about us. It's not about our children. Right. Our children really are these tools, these vessels that mm-hmm. just bring out the things in us that are unresolved. Totally. And I look back over our journey and I see how that is completely true. Mm-hmm. And of course, every relationship has two people in it and there are more dynamics at play than we can distill it down to easily. But but it really is about us and the work that we are willing to show up to, mm-hmm. right? So I am many, many
0: things as you're talking through your story, just about you know how difficult of a struggle that that must have been, and it sounds like you've done a lot of really active work to get through this. And after this, like wake up call with the stillbirth of Rowan and that major, major shift in your life happened. But all of the insight that you have about it now, to me means that you've done a lot of deep work around this.
1: I definitely have. I mean, and I feel like that deep work is such an ongoing process. Like I said, yeah. it's, been, you know, it's been five years and I feel like there's always another layer of it. I've seen a therapist a number of times over the years and mm-hmm. especially in the time after my son Rowan was born. But I went back to see a therapist for a few months when I was pregnant with my daughter who was born last year. And I just felt like this is a good time to kind of re-engage this work with the help of a you know, therapeutic professional. And assuming that even though I'd done so much work around processing the loss of Rowan, that you know, there's probably more there I can unpack and it would be good to do mm-hmm. that right before I go back into a birth situation. Mm-hmm. And what was so crazy was that my therapist was like, yeah, you're good with Rowan. Like everything we worked on for months was about Aiden and his birth and his postpartum period. That's mm-hmm. where all my trauma, like all my unresolved yeah. trauma still was after years, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so difficult.
1: And I think too, you know,
0: for other people, maybe this is your experience, and certainly mine, and other people who've had trauma in their life is that you can do a piece of work around your trauma, and then a different situation might bring up another aspect of it, that then it's like time to look at that part. And you don't necessarily expect that we'd like to like, you know, go through our healing and be done. And unfortunately, that just is not how healing happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We want it to be linear. We want it to be a track that you can, you know, both measure your progress, but also, you know, complete a stage and be like, okay, well, we don't have to go back there. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have to go back to the workbook three. Right. Right. I mean, it's what our brains Mm -hmm. naturally want.
0: And if I can ask too, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of other things came out of this in particular, the work that you do and the podcast that you have now, is that accurate? That is very accurate, yeah. Okay. okay, so you went through all of this and then
1: started going into doula care? Yeah, so I had kind of informally been in a lot of situations with women around birth over the years. I think partly because of my own birth experiences and partly because of the way I was raised, I was always very, very interested in birth and, you know, birth advocacy and really just supporting women through such a intense and critical time in their lives. And so... After a couple of years after Rome was born, I decided to you know that I wanted to actually be trained as a doula, so that when women asked me to you know participate in that mm-hmm. experience with them that I felt like I had a few more tools. I mean I felt very, very capable of being in that setting, but I just wanted to really kind of flesh out that support system and tool set so I did that, and kind of simultaneously you know while that was happening over the years I had been being reached out to by more and more women who had experiences of loss, who, you know, would hear about me and wanted to talk, wanted to mm. kind of process their experiences. And so, you know, these conversations with women around their experiences of loss or birth trauma were happening kind of simultaneously with me getting more involved in supporting women through birth as well. I mean, they're different in one sense, but on a deeper level, they're really the same. They're very connected for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the women that I support now are women who have experienced loss and now are wanting to or preparing to give birth again. And so for me, that's really the culmination or the peak (laughs) experience that I feel very, very drawn to and feel like I, you know, have a set of tools and gifts to offer to women in that place. And so that is a big part of the podcast. The podcast is really, really kind of a broader conversation for women who, you know, want to share their stories of their transitions to motherhood and really kind of digging deep into what it means to be a mother. And we tell all the stories of motherhood, not just loss or, you know, And then I also do coaching with women around loss, around anxiety, around preparing for birth. And then, of course, I support women in birth when I'm proximately able to in my community. Want to
3: nourish and nurture that beautiful child of yours? What parent wouldn't? I'm Jill Castle, a registered dietitian and childhood nutrition expert and host of the Nourish Child podcast. Each month, I cover the latest in childhood nutrition, translate it into practical tips and strategies, and showcase some of the most respected experts in the industry. So tune in with me and learn how you can raise a nourished child inside and out.
0: Yeah, it's just amazing how our experiences shape what we do. There's so many people in this field who do go into these types of things where it resonates for them, where they feel like their gifts can be used. Their experience can be used. And I wonder, just in your process of being a doula, how have you seen that support the mental health of mothers going through difficult times or just in general, preventative even if possible?
1: Well, I think that so much of what's lacking now in our cultural settings and speaking very specifically of North America, which is where I live, is that we just lack community and we lack relationships that we can really truly rely on in a very deep nourishing sense. You know, I think most of us would say we have friends and I'm sure all of us have family to one extent or another, but a lot of us don't feel like we can really rely on those community structures to nourish us and so I think where doula care can be so powerful is in kind of bridging that gap and being that you know of course when I work with a woman who's preparing for birth I'm I'm helping her consider her birth choices and options I'm helping her you know prepare mentally and emotionally and physically for birth but I really see my role as bigger than that my role is really to help women create and nourish support systems that will help them transition and thrive in motherhood itself because you know, you can have a great birth experience or you can have right. a difficult birth experience. Either way, you then have to turn around and be a mother. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. really where the hard work that doesn't ever end is. Mm-hmm. And I think that both in the support that I provide to women, but really in focusing on how they can create and nourish support systems that will nourish them in an ongoing sense that enables you know, awareness of perhaps a perinatal mood disorder or awareness of, you know, a breastfeeding issue that could be resolved with professional support Mm -hmm, or awareness, you know, physical need that isn't being met. Like, we need a meal train. Like, let's figure this out. You know, there are so many little things that when you kind of look more holistically at what does this transition really look like for women, we can, in those first few months of a woman's transition to motherhood, we can completely change how they... Experience the rest of their journey as mothers.
0: Yes, I fully resonate with you here and I agree with you 100%. I mean, it's really when you take a step back and, like, how can you change the course of somebody's life? It's like from birth, right? Getting the stuff in place for all the support that the mother needs to be able to have a safe and healthy transition into motherhood is so important. And maybe similarly to your experience is that a lot of us don't get that emotional part we don't get the hey this could happen or this is what this looks like or if it happens this is what you can do we Mm -hmm. are sort of blind going into this emotionally Mm -hmm. with all of the focus being on you know how are you going to do the things the day-to-day stuff but really how are you going to cope and survive is a lot of what we actually need
1: yeah absolutely My postpartum experience after my daughter, Etni, was born last year was such a full circle experience for me because Mm -hmm. it was the ultimate validation that, you know, despite my experiences of both loss, and I've also had multiple other miscarriages. So despite my experiences of multiple losses, as well as a very difficult postpartum period with my first son, Mm -hmm. that orienting myself and preparing in such a different way for the birth and postpartum period of my daughter, Etni, that I really was capable of having an incredibly joyous, peaceful, calm, Mm-hmm. transition. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that it was perfect. We actually had months of difficulty breastfeeding, you know, it wasn't like it just meant that there right. was, nothing went wrong. So of course it was easy because it was easy. You know, <laughs> there were still challenges, but how I was able to cope with those because of the support that I had mm-hmm. and the emotional state that I had cultivated, mm-hmm. it was completely different, completely different. Right. Right.
0: I hope that, you know, people who are hearing this, who very specifically had a difficult postpartum birth and postpartum with their first and are thinking like what I hear all the time is, oh, my gosh, can I even have a second? Or I don't want to have a second because they don't want to go through that again, is that there's so much that you can do to have a better go the second time.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: It does take work and it does take looking into resources and whatnot, but it's absolutely possible.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: Yeah, it's so important to give that hope to people. And I appreciate you being so open about how difficult for being so open about what happened for you relationally with Aiden. Because for a lot of moms who I talk with who do have these really difficult and challenging periods of time, they don't want to talk about it. And they're not talking about it to other people. So I really believe that us talking about it and you specifically sharing what happened for you and that you came through it and that there's a process here is so empowering for people because it can feel really like almost impossible to get past it and there's a ton of you know guilt and shame and all this other stuff that people have to work through because we as a society too we tend to blame the mom that it's all her you know whatever all
1: the good stuff all the bad stuff 100%. <laughs> they, they get it all That's what Um, I was about to say is that it's very difficult to admit mm -hmm. that our relationships with our children may be less than ideal because what does that say about us as mothers? And when we're already bombarded in our culture with all of these things, all of these messages that diminish Mm -hmm. and devalue and dehumanize mothers and really make us feel like we are not worthy Mm-hmm. The last thing we're going to do is admit to something that just amplifies that picture.
0: Right. And I think from what I understand about your podcast, too, is that there's a lot of speaking to that, that specifically yes. when our children are born, we are born, mother birth. Yes. And our whole process through that is deep in a lot of different ways yeah. and complicated in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it's not this Hallmark card ideal. What it's supposed to be. And that's, it's a
4: massive transition. Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced. So differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive.
1: It really is. I think that so many of the, you know, I'm curious as a perinatal mental health worker, you know, how you see this, but in the work that I've done with women and in the stories that I've heard, you know, and now even doing the podcast, we've heard and shared so many stories. It is most often that I have seen you know, the experience of the firstborn child that is such a difficult and often traumatic transition for the mother. And to me, that makes sense, because that's when the most significant, you know, identity shift Mm -hmm. is occurring, you know, this is really a foreign experience, to Mm -hmm. be frank. And it is a very difficult one to adjust to.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't know the statistics on it, but I would say Very often, it's the first time mom. But frankly, you know, in the work that I do, like I have several moms who they're on their fourth child and they felt fine with the first three. And it's the fourth one that for whatever reason, now they're experiencing this. Triggered
1: something new. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, it can happen with any, you know, not necessarily just the first child. It can happen at any time for many, many different reasons. There's so many contextual factors that go into it. But I think you're absolutely right in that the identity shift from kind of no kids or childless to having a child is, I think, one of the biggest transitions you'll go through in life other than your own birth. I mean, there's nothing like it at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's why it's so difficult to prepare for. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that even for women who have a deep awareness and a deep connection to their intuition and to that consciousness, it's still, you can read all the books and have all the conversations Mm -hmm. and be so conscious. And yet it's something, it's like, you know, if you've never gone swimming, you've never gone swimming, you know, Mm -hmm. you can read about swimming, but until you're Mm -hmm. in the water, your body's not going to know what to do, you know?
0: Right. And, you know, I mean, certainly there's a lot of different factors that add into the intensity, but I mean, I can speak for myself. It felt like a whole other portal opened in the universe where I was just like, oh, my soul has to deal with some stuff now. It was just a soul shifting type of experience with my daughter. Anyways, the, the first pregnancy when I had anxiety, depression, and OCD, but it was this other like deep, deep level of stuff that came up where I was like, oh, where is this even coming from? Yeah. You know, looking back on it. And I find that that's a lot of people's experience. It doesn't always get that deep, but it is really sort of soul shifting. Yeah. Once and I on.
1: think too that that's why, you know, like you talked about, there are things that come along the way that can trigger something new or potentially for the first time. And I think that that is exactly why, A person can be five years into their parenting journey or having their fourth baby or whatever. And suddenly, you know, maybe you haven't been either engaged in the work or (laughs) potentially haven't had something that has triggered your need to do that work yet. And all of a sudden, whatever it is, whether it's a particular birth experience or particular, you know, parenting Mm -hmm. experience that is triggering something from your own childhood, you know, in Mm -hmm. reading this conscious parenting book, I'm really, really aware of how those patterns play out. And, you know, my son's reaching an age now where I had a lot of, you know, difficult interaction Mm -hmm. and conflict with my mother that like he couldn't have triggered this in me as a five-year-old because, you know, that hadn't occurred yet in my life at that age. And so now there's this cellular memory of, oh my gosh, I know what this is like, and this is terrible. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting, now my brain, my anxiety brain is going to superimpose all of these, Mm -hmm. you know, futuristic beliefs about what this means, because I've seen this play out in my own life. So obviously it's going to be the same in this situation. That's terrible. So, so I'm going to react, you know, right hmm
0: And that is so true for so many people. And then also you're talking about the work that you're doing yourself to not engage in those patterns. It's, wow, it's hard. That in part is the work of, well, to quote the book, of being a conscious parent is to notice all of this stuff. Yeah. So I want to also, in the podcast, it sounds like you go over a lot of these things, both within your own stories and then guests that you have on as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, every episode is, you know, someone sharing their story of the transition to motherhood that they experienced, mm-hmm. and then you know we kind of explore what those themes and narratives are in the context of their story. So what I have really discovered in the process is that someone can share a story that on paper. It couldn't possibly be more different than my own. They could tell the story of having, you know, four C-sections or four, you know, vaginal births, things that I've never experienced. Mm -hmm. And yet they're telling their story and I'm just going, yes, yes, you know, I feel the same way. And that Mm -hmm. to me is so powerful and so indicative of the common shared experience of motherhood and how much we really are the same, whether regardless of our experiences, regardless of our approaches to parenting, regardless of, you know, the baggage that we come into it with mm-hmm. from our own childhoods and from our own, you know, mental being. we have so much that we share and that's really yeah. powerful.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. I actually, I think that's one of the powers of podcasts in general, too, is mm-hmm. to hear. Reading is very important and having you know posts and whatnot is very important. but to hear and to resonate on that level is powerful and sometimes very healing for others. It's just a different way of absorbing information and experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about your podcast and what you are both doing. You have a co-host, correct?
1: I do have a co-host. So my co-host is Laura Rice and she is actually just finishing up her doctorate in nurse midwifery. So she just about, I mean, she's already delivering babies, but she's just about a licensed practicing midwife. And she's actually doing her doctoral project in storytelling as a form of healing for trauma. And so really researching the body of work around PTSD in veterans and that sort of thing and how Mm. powerful the group coaching and storytelling is for those people. Mm -hmm. So she's really working from that perspective and using the podcast even as part of her research that she's able to um, use for her project, which is really cool.
0: That is cool. Oh, podcasts are powerful.
1: I know. That's really great. Mm
0: -hmm. You have some courses of your own that you offer, a course in
1: pregnancy loss? Yes, I do. So I've been working with women for years around, you know, preparing for birth again after loss. And after doing that, you know, kind of one-on-one for years, really wanted to be able to offer that to more people that I don't have time to or physically am not able to meet with. And so I started a online course that is a six-week program that takes women through a lot of these just different foundational Practices and beliefs around trusting your body again and really Really internalizing that trust instead of looking for something outside of ourselves, you know to give us a sense of guarantee that everything's going to be okay Which is just not what? trust is really about and then you know some of it really goes into the tools that we use in managing anxiety and negative thoughts after the experience of loss we get into birth preparation we get into community support we get into like you know grief rituals and really really accessing those deep deep places of healing through grief yeah and it's been really really powerful so that's something people can find on my website it's available for enrollment at any time And I also do group coaching programs that run from time to time. So that's something that people can participate in if the dates work for them. Where do people find all of that? So you can go to trustyourbodyagain.com. That's nice. And that will just, yeah, that'll just take you to our mother birth site and specifically to the page where you can check out the course. Okay. You have a
0: page for the podcast?
1: Yeah, the podcast is motherbirth.co. Really, if you go to either of those, it's going to take you to the same place. So don't worry about getting lost. Okay, great. So people can
0: connect with you through those websites.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your process, just your healing journey. It's so powerful. And I'm so happy that you're on the other side and still, you know, obviously doing a lot of work to continue that. And I just love to get that you're sharing that message that you don't just stop. There's stuff to do still, but that you can find healing. That's just fantastic. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm just really glad to have this conversation with you and to share with your listeners.
0: Awesome. Take care. You too. It is so important that people are sharing their stories. And I'm just so happy to talk with Melissa and hear how she recovered from such a difficult period of time. And also just the honesty that she brings and how much work it can be when there's a disconnection or when you're healing from your own difficulties. It really does take us being honest with each other and honest with all of you, bringing these stories into the light. So for one, you can know you're not alone. And also you can know that you can feel better. If you'd like to connect with Melissa, you can find the Motherbirth podcast at motherbirth.co and they're also on IG at motherbirth.co. And the Mom and Mind podcast is part of Parents on Demand, a network for parents and families. People can listen through their free apps available on Apple and Android. There's a bunch of other parenting podcasts on there. I'm sure you'll find one that's right for you. Please connect with us at momandmind.com, on our Facebook page, Instagram, or Twitter. And as usual, I'm so honored to be able to bring you this information today and can't wait to bring you the next one. Until next time.